This is Eastman's Elevated Podcast. I have on great guests that are really knowledgeable, consistently successful. We're able to dive deep down the rabbit holes of these different subject matters of shooting, of physical fitness, of mental toughness and drive. All the different skills that make up a complete hunter that you can become. Here's your host, Brian Barney. Hey, what's happening, guys? Got a brand new Eastman's Elevated for you. So today's a special one. Today is the 400th episode of Eastman's Elevated, give or take. <laughs> Who knows how good a track I've kept, but um, yeah, it's the 400th episode. It's just amazing. Uh, man, I uh, so appreciative and just thank you guys so much for the continued support on the podcast and just want to continue to to bring you guys great guests and uh, great information that helps improve your Western hunting tactics. So uh, today, I have on my friend Sam Davis. I really like this guy. He's just such a great bow hunter, such a great family man, human being. Uh, I really enjoy getting to hang out with him. I spent some time with him at the Western Hunting Summit again this year, uh, able to shoot with him a bit, and um, the guy's just an absolute animal. So uh, get him on the podcast, and we get talking today. And today, our conversations really center around elk hunting. He has a similar style to me is that, you know, he he doesn't call a whole bunch. Now, we do talk calling in here, and we talk some situations where uh, he has called bulls in, and, and um, I talk about them as well. So it's one of the most effective and efficient ways to call bulls, and I do have some podcasts coming up that are centered around calling, but today's is centered around spot and stalking, hunting elk, uh, finding elk, uh, which is one of the biggest challenges out there is just keeping yourself into elk and and um, Sam has a good tag this year so that's where the conversation centered around I really enjoyed it I think you guys will enjoy it too we'll get right into it just want to thank a couple sponsors for the show uh, I want to thank Matthews uh, Matthews are just building great bows this new phase four is the quietest bow I've ever shot it's super forgiving um, man it holds a tune really well they're just great shooting bows, and I've loved the last five years of Matthews, but this Phase 4, this research and development team have really outdone themselves. This thing is a is a shooter. I think I have six animals already under my belt this year with that Phase 4, and um, I'm sure there'll be a handful more as we get into fall, but uh, I just love the way that these things hold up to the, the abuse that I put them through going into all these places from hot weather to cold weather, wet, everything in between and these bows hold up. So uh, you couldn't buy a better bow. If you're in the market for a new bow, make sure to get out there and shoot a Matthew, see what fits you. Uh, but I guarantee these things are so forgiving and shoot so well that you're going to fall in love with it just like I have. I also want to thank Zamberlin Boots. Uh, I'm so pumped with Zamberlin Boots. I've been using them the last handful of years, and uh, they just build the best boots and shoes on the market. So you guys know that I like a lightweight shoe. I feel like one pound on the feet is like 10 on the back. And if you think about it like, you know, a big day, you'll take 30,000 steps. If you have an extra pound on your feet, that's an extra 30,000 pounds your legs have to lift, which is absolutely wild. 
So I love lightweight footwear, and uh, Zamberlin fits the bill with a burlier shoe, so uh, it's waterproof, and Zamberlin tests every single Gore-Tex booty that goes into their shoes and boots to uh, make sure that it's waterproof, so their waterproofing on their shoes doesn't just last a month, it lasts for years. Uh, Those, you know, even shoes paired with gaiters, and I can go in the wettest terrain and my feet stay dry. So I love the waterproof capabilities. I love the craftsmanship. They really hold up in all the places I hunt. They have a Vibram sole, which is the best sole on the market, which is really sticky on rocks and uneven terrain. Uh, So if you're in the market for some new boots or shoes, make sure to check out Zamberlin. They have a bunch of different offerings. Uh, My favorite right now are the Saluth. And uh, they also make that in a low-cut boot. And uh, also the Free Blast. The Free Blast they also make in a low-cut boot. So I'm loving these boots or shoes, boots and shoes, and uh, I'm going to be taking them on some pretty extreme hunts this year, and I just know that I can count on them. So if you're in the market, make sure to go check them out over at Zamberlin. I also want to thank Outdoor Edge. Uh, So I just picked up a new Outdoor Edge knife. It's a replaceable blade knife. Uh, The blades are a little bit more burly and really stick on to the handle. Uh, They keep a really sharp edge, and I just like it how I don't have to bring multiple knives or sharpening stones to keep my knife sharp. I can just replace the blade and keep cutting away. Uh, I can usually butcher a whole deer antelope with one blade. Elk takes a couple blades as their hides are so thick. So, um, yeah, I really enjoy using these replaceable blade knives. They're super lightweight and just fit the bill for me. I I haven't looked back since I made the change to these knives, and um, I just love that super sharp edge. I can can just butcher an entire elk, quarters off, head off, everything with one of these knives. So make sure to check them out over at Outdoor Edge. I also want to thank Black Ovis. Uh, Black Ovis is doing an incredible job making uh, great offerings to us bow hunters. So uh, you can save some cash. You can save 10% off your order if you put in the code ELEVATED10. So you put in that code. They have all the top name brands as well as their own name brand, which I'm really impressed with. Uh, So make sure to go check them out over at Black Ovis. Also, check out Camo Fire. It's an addictive app that has 80 new hunting deals that come up every 24 hours. They're overstock gear items or, uh, you know, different gear items that they want to get rid of or want to move, and then they're able to sell them at huge discounts. So you can check them out at Camo Fire. And with that, um, over at Eastman's, we've still got the Mule Deer course going. Uh, we've got that promo code for the kill kit. You'll get an outdoor edge knife. You'll get Black Ovis game bags, which the Black Ovis game bags are the best that I've used. I'm really happy with their game bags. So you'll get that, plus you'll get 10% off if you put in the promo code BRIANMDC at checkout. And, um, yeah, make sure to check out everything we have going on. There's been some great new Beyond the Grids hitting. Um, Dan Picard's Two Big Bulls are out. I've now seen the edits for High Country Muley Hunt and my elk hunt from last year, so really happy how those come came out. They'll be releasing the next couple Saturdays, I believe, so be on the lookout for that before season comes. And, um, yeah, check us out there. And uh, everything we do, the magazines and um, Eastman's Tag Hub, and, uh, yeah, I think I, I think I covered it. So with that, um, I got a bunch of workload here trying to get a bunch of things handled for Barney Construction and um, for Eastman's. Make sure that I've got podcasts loaded up for you guys. And um, man, I'm going to go disappear in the mountains for a while. I've got a busy August. I've got back-to-back-to-back hunts, which is the way I love it. So um, 
super excited. Uh, I've got my stuff laid out in my garage, packing up. I'll be leaving this Sunday, going to BC to hunt a mountain goat. So super stoked about that, and then coming back and hunting some high country mule deer. So I got some good episodes for you guys while I'm gone, but I'm um, getting pretty excited to uh, blast off onto these hunts. So um, yeah, hope you guys got some good adventures coming up. And uh, remember to give it your all this season. It's like uh, effort equals success, and um, I've definitely got my head right and body ready for these hunts, so super excited about that. And um, man, yeah, let's get into this podcast. It's a great one. Uh, Really like Sam Davis. Um, Consider him a good friend of mine, and uh, happy to have him on for the 400th episode of Eastman's Elevated. So uh, I'm your host, Brian Barney. Here we go. Hey, what's going on, mister? Oh, not too much. Thanks for getting up early, joining me. Oh, absolutely. Cheers with some coffee. <laughs> no doubt. Cheers. Uh, we have the same addiction. Oh, yes, sir. Especially this early in the morning. And it's raining outside, so it couldn't be better. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah, it's raining it. stormy here this morning, too. It's been a nice summer, hasn't it? Oh, it's been unreal. I can't. The horn growth I've seen, you know, is it's uh, substantial. I know people say that you know there's that debacle between is horn growth going to be good and or did the win, you know this winter we had did it take too much out of the critters that they're going to be behind? You know what I mean? Just because the winter was so hard, but man, from what I'm seeing, this is uh, it's <laughs> what you and I saw where we were last week. <laughs> there's going to be some horn growth for sure. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yeah, it is. Um, yeah, yeah, it's a bit of. Um, uh, always like trying to figure out the best years to have these tags and definitely like the Utah, Nevada, and some of these places that were brought out of the drought have definitely had good horn growth. I'm, I'm like you, I kind of struggle like, um, uh, whether or not the winter was tough, if it like put a hurting on the animals, but yeah, from what I've seen, even here with these mountain animals, it's incredible growth. Yeah. Yeah. This, uh, this past weekend we were up on the mountain just doing the family camping thing and, I did covered quite a few miles and yeah, there was just, and the critters just look good. I was worried about fawn, fawn mortality, you know, not mm-hmm. just the fawn crop from last year's fawns dying, but since the winter was so hard on all the doe mule deer, you know, were those, were those does going to abort those fawns just so that they could survive, you know, the, the, coming from ranching when, when cows are, have it tough or you don't feed cows enough, they'll, they'll actually abort their calves so that they can have their own survival and, I saw more fawns running around and uh, it was, yeah, it was, it was a good, it was what I've seen so far. It looks really good and it's still raining and it's still green. The ranchers can't get their damn hay put up because it just keeps raining, but there's, there's gives and takes and I'll take the rain. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Well, it's, um, you know, those antlers just don't grow uh, on their own. They grow from like excess of food source. Like it's uh, the the animals, you really find that they have to put on full body weight and grow their mass of their bodies before they really grow big racks, you know, and, and it's the excess. And so, you know, they get so much excess in that spring with that really nutrient dense feed that then they're able to put it into their antlers. So it only makes sense that when you get like a really good wet year like this year and the grass is, you know, dang near waist deep or chest deep in some spots in the mountains that those animals just have such an excess that they're able to to grow incredible antlers. And I've actually seen it like in my Colorado spot, like um 
you go in in a drought year or a normal year, and a majority of bucks are, are typicals. And I went in one year, and it was a green year like this, where I hiked in in September, and it was still neon green in the mountains. And I saw probably 50 bucks in there, and I would say three-quarters of them had, like, extras and kickers and stickers, and that's all the same genetic deer. It's just the difference of a good horn growth year. Yeah, it's, it's incredible what it can do. Um and then the, the plants that I've seen growing, you know, like a big thing that's that it's I don't know I don't know what the science is behind it, but I was some old rancher guys that I used to work for. They'd tell me that a uh, sweet clover it's like a triangle. Sweet clover doesn't come up every year, and it takes a lot of moisture for sweet clover. And I've seen sweet clover spread out for hundreds of miles in the west this year, and it's it's like you said, it's almost chest deep in places. And those mule deer, they just got their fawns laying in it. So, you know, it's, it's hard for a coyote to find a fawn when it's in that sweet clover and it's good all the way around. It's uh yeah, it's phenomenal. You're, you're really good. Like, uh, understanding the ecosystems, like you're tied to ranching and you're tied to the, to the landscape and just knowledge of the grasses and the feed and things is, um, uh, it, it's definitely uh, better than mine, but it's just um, you're so tuned into it. But you're right with that sweet clover, as I've definitely seen that. So like hunting, um, uh, you know, like mid Montana or whatever, like hunting in in breaks country, like um, dry years, those elk tend to go to ag and go to private, and you end up hunting them on the edge of private public, or they're down in the bottoms and down in the willows. But these years that you have this clover that grows, the sweet clover that doesn't grow every year like you're talking about, uh, these are the really good years over there. These are like the dream years to have that tag, as all those elk um, they pile into all that breaks country. It's all public, and they just kind of roam that breaks country and don't need to come to the ag. So, yeah, man, I'm always watching the sweet clover as um, it's a real sign of good hunting there in central Montana. Heck yeah, yeah, it's a, it's something cool to watch. It looks like that Wyoming's looking the same. Um, it's good reservoirs everywhere too. There's just there's water everywhere and. Like I said, I was dang sure worried after after this winter, and I, I I'm in a I'm in a unique part of Wyoming, um, where you know Southwest Wyoming had the big winter kill, and I think that's pretty legit. Um, everything you're hearing, 80 to 85 percent mortality in the mule deer in, in some of the most famed mule deer herds, uh, but up here in Northeast Wyoming, it was a different winter. Sheridan County, where I'm at, it it absolutely got hammered with snow, but we uniquely have some big ridges and has some south facing slopes and some places where I did see deer, even though the snow is deep, 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 they were able to get up and still have some feet in some spots. And it was just different. We didn't have, you know, 20 feet sitting on the flat, hard pack, you know, that was over five wires deep on this, of, you know, of a barbed wire fence. And it was just different. So we didn't have the mortality and the loss like the southwest part of the Wyoming, southern part of Wyoming did. And yeah, I'm really looking forward to September. This is always kind of the I was visiting with a guy last night at a Fourth of July party. Um, Seth Hiller, he's actually he's a he's a Weatherby guy. He's a super good guy, local boy. And we were visiting about it, and he's like, "Are you getting stoked for hunting?" I said, "Yeah, Fourth of July is uh, it's always kind of the kickoff for me. It's like that's when antler growth and mule deer really starts to show. Not that I'm not out there all spring bear hunting and stuff, but it's just like it seems like the Fourth of July is kind of my my time when I really started getting amped up and then to top it off here we are it's 51 degrees out right now and just pouring rain like it has such a fall feel in the air right now it's kind of it has me jones and I just I was just out taking the dog and went on a little jog this morning and 
the dogs and we're out there and I'm just like, ah, oh, you can just smell it. But yeah, I, I get to Jones and now we're talking hunting on a podcast. Now I'm really jonesing for it. <laughs> yeah, good for you. Yeah, I know. Um, I usually, July 1st is usually when I'll start my scouting. Those mule deer just have like a good enough horn growth where you can tell what they're going to be. And some of them are a little balled up where you tell they still have quite a bit of growing, but you can start to tell width. You can start to tell forks. And so... Well, and the other thing, too, is like they, by July, a lot of these deer have made it back to their summer range or at least close to their summer range. So you can go scout them like in the habitat that they'll be come August, September. And yeah, like we're final countdown. It seems like once July gets here, the summer just flies by. And I can't believe it's already the the fourth or whatever. But um, yeah, man, it's um, it's going to be awesome. And really, what are we like? I have a bunch of August hunts coming up. So really, I'm like five weeks out from full go full send so um yeah it's getting to be a pretty exciting time like um man it's uh there's just nothing better like uh the the elk rut is really special to experience but there's also like this early mule deer season which is uh so fun to go take part in it's I think it's like the bow hunter's best chance. Like I love hunting all seasons of mule deer and kind of get it dialed in for all seasons. Um, love the rut and the action that I get and kind of like the rut is more like hunting them aggressive, almost like a herd of elk where you just kind of get over there and adapt to the situation. But there's something special about early season deer, whether they're velvet or like the early hard horns, man, it's a good opportunity for a guy to kill a great buck. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I couldn't agree more. I, I'm with you. Obviously, we both like to hunt all the seasons, whether it's like that. There was a guy last week and he was asking me, he goes, what's your, uh, he was talking to elk and he goes, what's your favorite, what's your favorite week in September if you had to pick a day or week to hunt in September for elk? And I said, uh, September 1st through the 30th. Like, I don't, there's no, there's no time that I would, I would rather, you know, anytime's good to hunt. If hunting season's open, we're going to be chasing something. But I do believe that in mule deer and in elk, there are there are better times, more efficient times. And absolutely, I think the big thing is there is, like you just said, with these deer being back in their summer grounds, like killing them early, you're killing them where you scouted them. And when you get into November, who knows where that buck's going to be? When you get into mid-October, if you have some of those hunts, who knows where that mule deer buck's going to be? Because he's not necessarily staging for the rut, but he's definitely moved a little ways different from his summer grounds to where they're going to rut. Uh, maybe he's staging closer to does or maybe they've just moved in. They felt the pressure from archery season. So they've moved into that secondary living, but um, yeah, early season it's dynamite. It is so dynamite because they're in their velvet. They really don't have a care in the world. All they're really worried about is just fattening up that belly, getting the velvet rubbed off. And they're a lot of fun. If you can put up with the heat in a lot of the country I hunt and you hunt also, if you can put up with the heat, it's a, it's a root makes for a really good hunt. Yeah. Well, and they're, they're patternable, like, uh, where they're living, they live in a small space and unless they're bumped out of it, like you can kind of pattern them where they're going to be and where they're living and what they like. Uh, you know, they also, we get to chase the biggest ones, like usually they're in bachelor crews. And so, you know, their numbers are condensed into a bachelor herd of bucks. And then you get to look over five, six bucks together, maybe more. Uh, you get to really see what the biggest one has and really target that, that bigger mule deer. But yeah, I think it's just that, that lax summertime attitude. Uh, they, they, uh, they're out in the open more, they're out feeding more throughout the day. So you're right. It's just like, um, 
if you can take that heat in a lot of places, those early seasons are really good. And I actually, like, that's the weather I hope for, is I hope for sunshine and heat because um, uh, I can predict what those mule deer are going to do. And then I have, like, the uphill thermals that get real steady and consistent that I can count on. And uh, it seems like storms just kind of throw a wrench into the situation, you know, because the storms will come in afternoon when I like to hunt these deer and then sure changes the winds around, too. So that's kind of what I'm hoping for is the the hot sunny weather what do you do for like um for heat training I, I think like it's super important to like get your body ready for that heat so it handles it well and dude you do really good in the heat you know I think um over the past years it's just very fortunate what I do for work uh whether it was on the ranch or now like framing houses and pounding nails I think I'm very fortunate that this this is a this is a one for everyone right but I'm outside and I'm outside working every single day in the heat. Um, in the hottest part of the day, we're usually climbing around with bags on and pounding nails. So that really helps. As far as um, absolute training, though, when I go to the gym in the morning, I, I don't drink water. I know that sounds silly, but I'll get up and I'll drink. I'll fill myself full of water in the morning. And then when I'm doing my workouts, I, I don't allow for water breaks. I don't take breaks. Once it gets warm and I'm hot, I stay in that. I try to keep my heart rate up and I try to stay in that, you know, up to an hour of that and then um i i I don't i don't waver from anything my scouting trips um i've done straight up midday scouting trips and it's not necessarily looking for the critter but it's when i'm when i'm just wanting to cover country in august i've i've definitely done a lot of my scouting right in the middle of the day in august completely um, based upon just my heat training and i always try to make it's not a lot of trips. I make two or three trips in August when I do my scouting trips, always in the heat of the day. I want, I'm hoping it's a hundred degrees just to get my body acclimated to feeling that. Um, and I dang sure have done runs a lot because I'll start running a little bit more come August and I put my miles on right in the middle of the day so that I'm running and getting that heat. But I think for the most part, it's just, I'm very lucky that I work and I'm outside in the heat, in the sun, baking all day. And I don't, I don't get out of it. Like it's, it's kind of a, it's a, it's a mind game too, to get through that. And, uh, yeah, I just, I'm not like you, I'm not a camel. I, I can't do the no water thing like you as well. Like I did, my body takes a lot of water. And so that's, it is, it is a crucial thing for me to figure out how to kind of acclimate and salt tablets. Um, that's, that's a new thing that my wife, you've, you've told them about now my wife's in this ultra running thing and she's done so much research on salt. So, for me, it's uh, working outside, any little bit of training I do, that's, especially it's like on weekends, like Sunday afternoons I, in the summer. I love going when the, everything's kind of calm down and getting ready for the work week. That's when I'll go for a run is on a Sunday afternoon when it's hotter than hell. Um, and then, like I said, the, the, the bombers midday scouting trips, I've definitely put in those. But, yeah, now dialing my diet as far as coming into hunting in the heat and and going long distances in the heat hunting i've dealt with cramping so bad so i'm really pumped my wife has got into ultra running because she is she has found so many so many products and supplements that are in the running world that dang sure are going to overlap and i'm going to use them this fall in my hunts because like i said the cramping has got me no matter how much water i've drank how many electrolytes how many liquid ivs all the the brands we've heard in the hunting market, she's found so many more in the runner's world that I think are going to help me this year that I'm, I'm stoked to use those. So, Yeah. Oh, dude, makes complete sense. I think, yeah, I'm doing all that same stuff that you're doing. Um, you know, I don't drink water on my runs unless I'm going for 10 miles plus. 
Um, so I get used to going without water. Um, the sauna really helps me to like get into that heat daily, you know, is to do that heat. And, and, and I like getting out on those runs in the heat of the day. It's like going to be the, it's like an extra stressor on your run and on your training that just pays dividends come season. And I think I just have my body like used to the heat where it just deals with it really well. So when you get on those hunts, you can still push hard and do like, um, like heat stroke is real, uh, heat exhaustion, like all that stuff is real. But when you work at it in it day in, day out, and you're outside in it, you just get your body used to that exertion under the stress of the heat. So, man, I, I think you couldn't be more spot on. And talking about the supplements and nutrition, it's like um, I, I have a really good buddy I hunt with, um, Dylan Ness, who the guy's just an animal, and he trains like an absolute madman. He um, uh, always lifting, always uh, running. Uh, he did an ultra this um, this spring, his first one that he just jumped on an ultra and did it. So the guy's an absolute animal, but I've seen him cramp as well. He's like got, you know, like a good muscle build on him. And it was um, hiking into, uh, well, we were hiking into the high country in Nevada and um, it was really hot and humid and we were going up the hill. Dude, I've never seen somebody crash. Like I've crashed as well with um, uh, uh like cramping or like with uh, heat exhaustion, you know, like back in the day, I tend to deal with it pretty good. But I watched Dylan, we had to do this climb and it's like a 4,000 feet off trail, just straight up. And it was really humid and really hot. Like we were all just sweating so much. And Dylan took in plenty of water, packed plenty of water. But dude, he cramped so bad. And you talk about uh, like a strong mind, like there's no way that guy was going to give up before getting to the top. I think he would have died along the trail, you know, if he wouldn't have made it. So he just had so much go, but he started cramping so bad going up there and he was drinking enough water. But what he finally figured it was, was just the lack of salt or the lack of like, uh, 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 um, definitely salt, like the salt pills, but also like just drinking, you know, Gatorade or something that replenishes that would have helped him. But drinking that straight water, uh, he just couldn't drink enough water and he had plenty, like hundreds of ounces of water that he was taking in, but his body was just flushing it and he started cramping really bad going up. So it's something that he's been dialing in on his game. So he did that ultra this year in the heat and did good with it. And he's just like really watching his salts and supplements, uh, kind of like uh, Peyton, your wife is doing that same thing where he's diving into it and he's really getting his body figured out. And he came over fishing like couple days ago we went pretty hard um uh fishing but he just uh he's really cut and slim like he's still got that same muscle build but uh you can just tell that he's been running a bunch and putting in a bunch of work but yeah he's got that cramping pretty well dialed too but yeah it's a a major concern man it's these extra stressors it puts on the body so yeah good for you dialing that in yeah trying like i said trying to get it right because there's nothing worse than when you when you don't feel good and you're trying to, to to go all in on a hunt like luckily that the worst times i've ever had it's been after a hunt like after i've killed something and i've pushed it really hard and i don't know if it's my body like relax relaxes too and it's not like i have the high stress i don't know i think there's a, there's a little bit of mental that's went into it when you're when you're hunting just like your buddy dylan i feel like i've pushed in some heat situations where i was grinding and grinding and grinding it isn't until after the fact when i've killed a bull or I've been packing a buck out and it's like my body's just like poof, it just like relaxes and I'm on the hike out and that's when I've honestly felt my worst cramps. But 
yeah, hopefully this year is going to be a game changer. I'm going to, for me, early this year is going to be, it's uh, it's elk. I'm going to actually bomb in and I'm chasing elk early. Going to do some unique stuff instead of chasing. I mean, I'm in some country where I got an either or tag. I'm definitely going to have a mule deer tag in my pocket. <laughs> uh, so if, if the right buck happens to be bedded underneath the right, the right cut, I mean, he might get an arrow in him, but uh, elk this year at the beginning. So I'm going to go, go all in the first seven days is, is for elk for, for now. That's the game plan. You do really good on elk early. Uh, you, uh, you've killed some bulls before. It's hotter weather. The rut isn't cranking off, but you seem to do really good finding those bulls by themselves or in good stalking situations in that country. So that's what you're going to focus on this year is like start off the season and be hunting those, those big bulls out in that country trying to glass them up and make plays on them, huh? Yeah, exactly what I what we got planned. Um, yeah, you know, I think it started out as when I was young, you know, 15, 15, 16 years old. September 1st in Wyoming is always the opener. Well, it, it always revolves around Labor Day weekend. Well, being in sports in school, it was like, got to get out there, take advantage of the three-day weekend and um, and hunt. And so as a younger guy, um, and me and my hunting partners were always Labor Day weekend was our big thing. Well, you, we started stacking up a bunch of bulls within the first five days. If I look back over all my bulls that I've killed, I think I've probably killed probably 90% of them before the 15th of September. I mean, my bulls are usually dead. Even last year, I've killed a lot of bulls around that 10th, 11th mark. Um, and they're like, it seems like right then they're starting. I've had cows. I know you've seen it too. on September 1st. I have seen bulls screaming with cows. I don't know the biology behind it. And I'm assuming there's a couple hot cows in that bunch. And because I've seen the biggest of the big bulls in there, and then I've seen herds that I've seen, you know, 25 cows and not a single bull in there on September 1st, also. Um, but yeah, that September, I like that early September. I've snuck up my bulls and hunted them exactly like you would a mule deer. Found them in their beds, came in above them, waited for them to get out of their beds when the sun's hit them, and uh, shot them exactly like the mule deer. Uh, I like hunting them in their bachelor groups. They're patternable still at that time. You, you see a bull, he's literally going feed water shelter, and that's kind of in his move. And I've caught bulls last year, a uh, bull that I was on, exact same thing, was at water. I was glassing a ridge, watched him go from feed to bed, got set up right next to his bedding area. But then it was September 1st. This is with my wife, Peyton, and I set up with a cow call, and he was just curious enough that it was a big, mature bull came in to a cow call the, the scenario was just set up where it was going to be hard stalking because he got in a thicket of trees and we just set up within a hundred yards of him and he was all by himself, but I'd watched him at water that morning. I got in between him and his feed ground. And so he was already committed to come the way we were going to come. We just coaxed him out of there. And yeah, that scenario for me in the early season, I, I love it. Um, there, it might not be the absolute scenario. Most guys are looking for when they're elk hunting because they're not always just screaming, bugling mad and, but I've dang sure called in some big bulls early season. They're curious with just a cow call. And I've dang sure stocked a lot of them, spot and stocked them in their beds when they're, they have no idea you're around and you hunt them, literally hunt them like a mule deer. It's exactly what it reminds me of. But they're a big bull elk to me is not as smart as a, a big mule deer. You get a big bull elk by himself. First of all, they got an antenna on top of their head that's six feet high. So when you're sneaking in on them, I can remember last year sneaking in on a bull and I was ranging his antlers from 80 yards. I was ranging his his G5 and his tips of his royal. I could hit it with a rangefinder all the way to 42 yards where we decided to set up and just hold out and wait. And unfortunately, the wind shifted on that one cloud. You talked about an afternoon storm. 
clear blue skies when we went in on that stock and it took us about an hour my wife and I again took us about an hour and a half to get in on him two hours and as we're sitting there in our socks just quiet as could be watching this bull he'd got up and he was feeding he needed to take probably two more steps to to step out into this little bottom and uh, sure enough he <laughs> he caught our wind but yeah I mean I was ranging his antlers the whole time that's what I was getting my range off of so they're they're a lot easier to stock than a mule deer in that sense they're, 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 they're you're sneaking up on a school bus instead of a vote you know instead of a instead of a four-wheeler I guess is is my analogy yeah um yeah it's good insight I um I'm with you like I I used to have this spot that I'd go in and I'd go in about September 5th and uh September 5th it seemed like all the cows were in this area like huge numbers and all the bulls would just show up in this September 3rd to say September 6th they'd show up and they'd sort out all the cows and so all these bulls would show up and get in the middle of these hundreds of elk, and then they'd sort them out and kind of fight it out. And so it'd be like the the 5th of September, and these things would be bugling their heads off, and they're trying to, like, cut out their group of cows and then split out into the mountains. And, um, man, I had some insane hunting doing that. Uh, it was really good hunting that spot. In fact, I need to get back in there. Now it seems like my start date is usually around, like, the 10th or 11th, but I think it's smart – like to to build your own strategy. And so, you know, you've done really good in that early season. I mean, the other thing, you're avoiding hunting pressure. Like there's not many guys hunting elk, so you're getting kind of first crack at them. And then when you're talking about stalking these bulls in their bed like a mule deer, uh, you're probably bedding them in more open terrain where you have an exact positioning on the bull instead of like diving in deep cover. Is that right, Sam? Yeah, yeah. So it is definitely scenario-based and um, mm-hmm. terrain. But yeah, there's, it's totally more open country where I'm seeing these bulls. It's usually, you know, it's a, it's a big, thick north facing slope, but I have slid on some bulls. I can think of one bull, one of my biggest bulls, actually, he came out, it was, it was one of those days, it was 98 degrees. Um, I'd hunted that morning and I hadn't seen this bull and I happened to be working a ridge, getting to an afternoon glassing spot where I'd put some bulls to bed that morning. And I was working up this big ridge and I happened to look down in an absolute bottom and a cloud had came over and it went from 98 degrees to no kidding. It probably dropped 10, 15 degrees and it felt cool. And I caught a bull up on his feet three o'clock in the afternoon in it. was, he was in a bottom, but that, that, uh, that cloud cover had came over and cooled it off enough. And he was repositioning beds and he was out grazing just a little bit at three o'clock in the afternoon. Well, no key, and the sun came back out just like it does in early September or late summer, you know, and it boomed right back up to 90-some degrees, and he picked one cedar tree to bed under, the closest one he was by. He tucked himself under that. It was it was one of those – it was it was a perfect uh, – excuse me, a picture-perfect scenario where I was able to slip in, and I got 18 yards from him, and he's just laying behind one cedar tree, and he was lipetted down with his shoulder exposed – and I was able to put an arrow in him and his bed. He didn't even know that I was there. That was one of my coolest. I mean, he's 18 yards to stick an arrow on a big six point. That's uh, he still had velvet on the inside of his antlers. And that bull was probably 10 plus years old. I mean, he was. And the more when I got to him, Brian, he I hit him with the arrow, and all he did is he stands up, and he went right back down. And then he just nosedived right there. Like he didn't have death run or nothing. He stood up out of his bed with the arrow in him, and then he went down on his front on his front knees, and then he just kind of slid about six or eight feet. I mean, he died within. I have pictures of it. He's dead. He's dead in his bed. And uh, when I got down there and I'm start working him over, 
his, there was a little seat in this bottom and he was probably 20 feet above this seat. The grass was green. All around. I don't think that bull had been anywhere but in that bottom for the last month. He, you could see all the trees where he'd been rubbing his velvet off right there. I mean, that was a very unique scenario. But that was just not giving. That was one of those deals. Don't give up in the middle of the day. Like I was covering country in the middle of the day. What I was doing, I was working around, like I said, to get back into look into another canyon where I'd put bulls to bed that morning. But it's three o'clock in the afternoon. It's 99 degrees. Like it's not that fun hiking around in that. But that one cloud cooled it off 10 degrees. I happen to be just covering country like I do. And uh, I'm not a sitter and waiter. I'm not a Ryan Lampers who they say, sit. you know how he talks about sits on the hill for 10 days watching one buck deer. I'm a mover and shaker. Like I like to make things happen. And I caught that bull middle of the day, changing his bed, grabbing a little bite to eat. The sun comes out, catches him kind of in the middle of the day. And he didn't want to walk, you know, 40 yards to the trees that he had just left. So he bedded under one tree that he had picked out on the sagebrush ridge. And it allowed me to slip in and stick a perfect arrow in him. And I was done by 530 that night on September 2nd. So with one of my biggest bulls. So, yeah, it's a, it's all scenario based on the country I'm talking about. But I definitely have been in big mountain country. And I've let out, I'm not a caller, but I, in my, I can think back to reverting back to my younger years when I thought calling was kind of the end all be all because it's what you saw on TV. Right. And I remember sneaking and just cow calling little bits and little bits. And I remember there was, there's multiple bulls that we've called and they come in silent. It's a completely different game, but black timber middle of the day. If I've, especially if I've seen bulls, just going in there and just cow calling a little bit. And I've had bulls walk up to me silently. We've made between me and my hunting partner, Zach, we've, we've definitely killed some bulls. All my wife's bulls were killed within the first five days of season. She's killed two of her giants on September 1st. And it's, it's the exact same thing. It's early season being quiet, maybe just a few cow calls and calling in some curious bulls. Like I said, they are coming in screaming, bugling, um, one of her bulls we caught early in the morning. I'd been scouting all summer, so there's where early season worked off. We were right to where I'd been scouting these bulls, working a ridge all summer long. We got in there. She was eight months pregnant, so it wasn't like we were bombing country and hunting. Like we, I wasn't covering tons of miles. It was a spot where, babe, if we can get in here and get set up, it's about a mile and a half hike straight up. We started hiking at 3.30 in the morning, only cover a mile and a half. But you got to remember, she had a belly on her, so... Anyways, it was a cool story. We worked our way up, and it's just cracking daylight. And I could see a – he was a younger bull. He's probably a four-year-old bull. I let out about five cow calls. I could see this elk about 400 yards off, and he slowly just walks in. And it takes him 15 minutes to get to us just because curiosity. And she's sucking arrow at him at 35 yards, and we had a bull dead on September 1st. So the early season is deadly. It is very deadly. Your your day, your hunting time is shorter maybe because it's so hot and it's early and the rut activity isn't crazy. So you might have just a small window in the morning and a small window in the evening. Like it truly, to me, feels like mule deer hunting because you catch them on their feet in the morning for a short time. And then if you're in the mountains, they might go into black timber. And I don't necessarily, I mean, my younger years, yeah, I, I crawled, like Indian crawled all over those to that black timber trying to get on bulls. And I have, and I'm sure you have too, when you get in that thick thick blow down those elk have trails that parallel that hill and you get in on that soft pine duff and if you're quiet and you're slow and you're very good with your glass you can work in on elk in their beds and they'll be laying on those benches they'll be tucked in those pockets and you i've sat there and watched bulls in the timber 
heck, my buddy Zach, uh, his his first elk, he laced the bull two times in his bed before he even got out of his bed at like 18 yards, probably two o'clock in the afternoon, September 2nd. I mean, that was his first archery bull. We literally were just teepee creeping around in the timber and and uh, he got a bull in his bed. So all of the, those things work. You just you got to be very diligent with your glass in the timber. You got to be very slow with your feet in the timber. You got to have patience and you got to hunt with your nose into the wind. And you can you can you can timber hunt bulls. Um, I usually like to do it on a slope so that you have you're not just hunting flat timber, which they aren't usually going to bed in flat timber. So you're going to be hunting some slope. But I guess, Barney, I've, I've, I've used it in all situations from open timber to black mountain, uh, black mountain timber where you're hunting just dark black timber. I've definitely done it in that, too. So if you like to hunt, like you said, September 1st, you got 30 days to get it done. I'm going to make use of every single day that I have, whatever tactic works, I guess. Man, a hundred percent. Yeah, it's uh, it's fun to hear you talk about hunting elk in the early season and try to piece together some of your uh, tactics and strategies. So, yeah, it sounds like uh, uh, that black timber, like I'm similar. I like to have those elk on their feeding features, and I'm really going to focus morning and night to put myself in good locations. And after my morning hunt, I'm starting to think about my afternoon, evening, and where I'm going to be. But what's also true is bulls get up throughout the day and feed around their position, whether they're bedded in black timber, whether they're bedded on sparse open timber, like wherever they're at, they will get up throughout the day. I try not to do too much or shoot myself in the foot in the middle in the middle of the day so i'm gonna grab vantage points i'm gonna glass i'm gonna look but i'm not gonna wear myself out i'm also not gonna uh, i don't want to spook or blow up these elk before i get a chance at them so you said in your younger years you used to like still hunt a lot of that black timber i like choose not to go into the black timber the only way i adjust my rules is if i know the exact positioning of that bull like you were talking about i see him bad i see where he's at i can see where the cows are i can analyze the situation or maybe even a sliver of timber i might think about going in and then working it really slow uh but i like to catch them on their feeding feature really focus morning and night um but animals do move throughout the day and really just being out there and if you don't have animals spooked you have a chance to catch them up and on their feet and i've caught bulls like you say 100 degree heat that just get up and start feeding around with a single cow or by themselves and feeding around or changing beds where you can get an opportunity at them. Now, I have started hunting elk in the timber more uh, where last year I found like a, a high pressure bull that I was chasing that was a great big bull that um, he just wasn't in the meadows. Like you couldn't glass this bull up. He maybe he was seven, eight years old in a high pressure area where he had just learned to not be in the meadows come light. So at first light, he was already in the timber. At last light, he was still in the timber coming out, you know. And so I had to go in after him and it, it worked pretty well to like um, hunt him on their feet in the timber uh, I would just like like you're saying, slowing down and really glassing in front of me in the timber and then just using like their bugles as an echo locate to where they're at. And it was really about like knowing when to move fast and then when to start moving ultra slow. Like when you start running into sign or when you start running into uh, like a smell elk or that you hear that bugle and they're right in front of you or you pick out a cow in front of you, of course, that's like the time to slow down. So I'm definitely like following him into the timber more i just play by this 
these rules that like the the longer I can keep the element of surprise and these elk don't know that I'm hunting them, the better my chance of catching this bull making a mistake. And so, you know, I I push to try to get in close to these elk, but I'm trying really hard not to blow them up or not to spook them. And I just find like the middle of the day working their bedding grounds, like I'll I'll bust just as many elk as I will sneak up on. So I'm like, it's like low percentage for me. So like, I try not to do that. I try to like really focus on mornings and evenings when they're on their feet. And just like you said, like you talked earlier about reading their horns, like you can tell the mood a bull's in or what he's up to by his horns. Like you can, you can tell if he's looking around erratic that, you know, he's pretty wary and that he senses danger. Maybe he heard something or caught wind or something like that. Or if he's relaxed and bugling around, you can tell which way he's looking. So if you're stalking in on a bedded bull, you can tell by his four or five, six or by his back end that he's looking away from me and that he doesn't hear me or know that I'm approaching. Or if he is looking in my direction, he's like, man, he's looking my way. He's pretty wary in my direction. I better just hold up here and give it 10 minutes, 15 minutes and let things reset. Let him look away from me. Uh, you know, so you can read like a lot by their antlers as well. But, um, yeah, I'm just trying to keep the element of surprise on those things. And, and so, you know, my dates to start hunting them are the 10th and I definitely like that, that early season, but, uh, as they start to rut and make themselves, um, you know, give away their, their location by their bugles. Like I tend to do pretty good, like following those bugles or hearing them. And sometimes it's just a distant bugle that I barely hear, you know, and it's like, gosh, was that a bugle? Oh, it's in this direction. I'll start walking that direction. And it's amazing. Like how many times you'll put yourself in a party of elk just by one distant bugle, like, like elk, like being around other elk. And even if there isn't multiple bulls chasing the same herd of cows, I'll get into an area. And if there's a herd of cows and a bull, most likely there's another herd of cows and another bull and another herd of cows and another bull in that same location or area or drainage or the next drainage over. It just seems like elk like being around other elk. And so that's kind of how I go about it. But yeah, you're definitely deadly in that early season by these scenarios that you're talking about. And I used to do really good with a cow call as well. Um, you know, we heard a lot of those callers like at the Western Summit, and a lot of their tactics. And it kind of reminds you that, yeah, it's it's a good idea to have a cow call in your pocket or a call in your pocket because there is the right time and place and especially that early season where you can call a big bull in. But um, are those some of the tactics that you're using, Sam, when you're spotting stalking them or do you have different tactics and things that you're doing? You know, I would say, like I said, you're very similar. Like you touched on it when I said in my younger years, I think there was a lot of learning because you were just I was just anxious to chase elk all day. So I would I mean it's not efficient to go in the black timber <laughs> and chase around bulls. Like I said, it can be done and we did it, but I think it was with lots of failure came little success. Um, but yeah, the early season, the spots, it's, it's, it's just like you said, it's a, uh, it's, if, if I could catch something in the evenings, my theory is hunting them in the evenings when they're coming out and catching them in that feeding feature. Like you said, the thermals are way more dependable in the evenings because they are going to drop. It's only getting cooler in the evening. It's not like when you're hunting them in the morning, you're you're playing that fine line some hills are catching sunlight some hills are still shadowed and so you got some wicked winds that are starting to kick up and the thermals are starting to change even when it's early in the morning i was i was on the mountain uh, sunday morning 
and I was working in on some, I was wanting to get up onto this slope where I could glass for mule deer in this big basin, but I didn't want to spook these bulls that were only 200 yards from me. So I was trying to hug the cool side of the timber. It's, it's five o'clock in the morning, you know, quarter after five, but the sun is starting to just hit that ridge early, you know, it's midsummer. And I was just feeling those thermals are, they're so crazy in the morning. So if I can hunt something, I'm the same way with mule deer. If I can hunt a mule deer on his feet in an evening, come on, like that is, that is about as good as it gets because that they're focused on eating. So it's like their focus is head down, bull elk and buck deer. They're eating, they're working the edge of that timber, you know, they're working out. Now I can slide in, in behind them in the edge of that timber. Now the timber, they're out of the timber. I can work the edge of the timber and there's a good chance they're not going to go 400 yards out into a, a meadow. Like they're going to hug the edge of that timber for a long time. And it gives you an opportunity to keep the wind in your face, work the edge of that timber and slide in. And that's where if I, if I think about it, I think of like avalanche shoots or I think about a ridge where it comes down and then the timber starts to get sparse and then it just starts to flatten out. Usually they're hugging the edge of that sparse timber. There's maybe some jack pines or big sagebrush. And usually I use the rolling of the ground and that sparse timber to just work in on the edge of them and or the edge of that timber. And it usually puts you in a position where they're either feeding towards you and you're kind of ambushing them or you're man, I can just think, it's, my mind just starts thinking of all the different scenarios or just literally slipping in behind them um, as they're, they're, they're going in because they'll, they're, I can't say like they're, they're not walking down because they got the wind in their face, but they'll be walking into where they, their nose into the wind and maybe they're working their way up into a drainage where they've been on a slope and there's a drainage with water coming. I can think of two bulls that I've, I've done this on and I've worked in on their angle kind of and just slid in on the sagebrush benches behind them and it's put me in perfect business i can think of an avalanche shoot in 2012 i killed a bull and he was just working the way if he just got out of the timber and i was across the canyon caught him i was low in the canyon so all i had to do was turn down across the creek immediately i was below him and i got on the same trail as him and he had the nose of the wind and he was just grazing and feeding in this avalanche shoot and his cows were in front of him this was about the 12th of september he had cows but they were just feeding nose into the wind and i just snuck and slid in behind him everything was quiet he had no idea i was there the cool thermals from the evening that were very dependable, though, allowed me to get in behind that bull and get him killed. And like I said, mule deer bucks in the evening. Oh, man, that's my that's probably my favorite. I like shooting a mule deer on his feet. I'm very I've shot a lot of them in their beds or as they stood up out of their beds. But also, there's a pretty large window sometimes, especially if they're bedded on a north facing slope. Like there's a lot more evening time to hunt when the sun goes down on a big ridge it's still daylight. It's not like you're hunting them the last five minutes. You might have a 40 minute window or two hour window when they're on their, their feet where they find a pocket where the shade hits there first. They're a lot more apt to get up and start moving around and start filling their bellies and be on their feet a lot longer. If you find them in that right feature, um, instead of, you know, someplace where the sun just pokes until the sun goes down and it gives you literally the last 30 minutes of shooting light to get in on. You might have some spots where I've seen mule deer up in the high country. Definitely be in a basin where the sun gets out of that basin and you still have two hours of shooting light. And that for me, I love it because they're eating. Um, they're focused on eating. They can hear themselves chewing. Yeah. They're on their feet. So they're a little more weary or wary, but um, when something's eating, it's focused on eating and where it's going. And I don't know, they're making noise themselves. So they're covering up some of your sound by just them chewing on their grass, walking in that deep lush forage, like, there's, there's a lot of good scenarios if you can kill something on its feet in an evening. So, yeah, I definitely use that tactic also to 
to evening hunt them and find them in the mornings and then be on them ready to roll in the evenings. Hundred percent, man. Speaking my language, Sam. It's like um, that that evening hunt is so crucial. But you can't kill them in the evening if you spook them in the morning. And so, yeah. like, you got to keep that element of surprise. And and like you say, the winds are fickle in the morning, and they're putting away in the deep dark timber. And so, like, you got to hunt them kind of tentatively. Like, if they give you a chance, like if you're following elk and they start feeding around before they bed, and they have you have a good wind. Well, yeah, I'm all in. I'm going to send it but a lot of times if i'm following elk or i'm seeing mule deer in the mornings and maybe i don't see where they bed at because i love to hunt a mule deer in his bed and sneak up on that position as well but then i'm definitely going to play that evening where they're coming out like you say that edge habitat um, they love like the the edge side of the meadow or the edge side of the timber. They love habitat changes, and so they come out. But that gives us a good chance to sneak up while using that timber, using those folds, and then the evening you just have that downhill thermal as well. And then you know it's it's easier to read their mannerisms. Like you can tell what a buck's thinking in his bed, the way he's looking. But they're really focused on danger in their bed, and maybe they're looking away from you, but. They'll chew their cud, but really they're just looking around for danger. They'll catch a nap every now and again. But you're right. When they're on their feet, they're focused on feeding in that evening time. And so, you know, you can glass down at a buck and you can watch his head down feeding. And he may pick his head up and look around for danger every now and again. But you can pretty much know that that buck isn't spooked or he's not on to you because he's feeding. And so you can read, like, his mannerisms and behavior from that and then make your play on him. But I... I'm that same way. I love killing them in the evening. And and a lot of it is just like, you know, it's, you know, I think both me and you hunt aggressive and try to give ourselves a chance whenever there's a chance to kill a buck or a bull. Uh, but there's something to like mixing in these patients with it, like just knowing what you can and can't get away with and knowing that it's not a high percentage stock early in the morning or in the middle of the day or where that buck's at or bull's at. And so just playing it and like knowing where a bull at is like money in the bank. It's like to know where a bull's at after a morning hunt and to bed him and his cows. Maybe it's in thick timber. Maybe you don't have a good play, but it's money in the bank because the key to killing elk is being into elk. And now you've got elk for an evening play, and an evening play is a high percentage play because, you know, we just like we've stated, you've got the wind right. They're coming into the opening. Usually they give us a chance to sneak in, and so that's high percentage for me. So. It, it's like knowing when to put that aggressiveness, like uh, when to give myself a chance. And sometimes like holding off for the morning and middle of the day to have that play in the evening gives me my best chance at killing that buck or a bull. I love killing them in the evening, man. Speaking my language. Yeah, it's funny. You think back of all you like your kill photos and how many are in the dark. <laughs> <laughs> Bunch. <laughs> yeah, but it's like, it's just the... It's how it is sometimes because the evenings are so – I can think back to bucks when – oh, there was a buck, 2012, a uh, good buck. I shot old buck. I had no idea he was there, Barney. We were hunting this rim. Zach and I had been hunting up in this big uh, big plateau, cool country. And we'd been hunting this rim, and it was, it was one of these spots where it's ponderosa pines. And those mule deer and ponderosa pines in early season, man, they are crafty, you know, and breaky country. And – We'd been hunting and hunting and hunting and glassing, and we were having a hard time turning up a super dry year, super hot. And I'll never forget, evening comes around, and 
it was a, just the perfect picture for a big plateau that looked over a huge valley. It was a perfect bedding spot for a mule deer buck, but we just couldn't pick him up in the timber. We knew there was some around. No kidding. We were working the back edge of that plateau, and I remember it was – we were in the last 40 minutes of shooting light, but this 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 hillside had shadowed, and I remember glassing across, and there's a buck standing in the shadow feeding and just a, just a hammer. I mean a stud. And I was like, I had been looking at that hill all day and I didn't necessarily put him to bed in the morning like you and I are talking, but it was just the perfect spot. And I knew deer lived up in this basin. And uh, but yeah, I was able to slip across a pier flat with the, the wind just working left to right or right to left, excuse me. And uh, cool evening. He was up on his feet grazing. He had no idea we were there and got a perfect arrow in him. And that picture is in the black, pitch black, dark, because I mean, I shot him. And by the time I gave him 30 minutes, it was, uh, we were blood trailing and, and headlamps. But yeah, that's a, uh, it's a very, very efficient time to, to chase them. Evenings are deadly. Yeah. Like, um, I really think like your best attribute, Sam, is like your persistence and like this positive mindset you have, like, yeah, you absolutely love bow hunting. Like I love bow hunting with every fiber of your being. And I think like the difference you know, or what makes a difference in yours and my success is like just this inner belief that I'm going to find something like it's not always easy. Like you're talking about this early season. It's hot. It's 100 degrees. And, and you're a doer. You're like you 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 work so hard all day. You spend time with your family like it's really tough in that middle of the day, like to switch your schedules, to be going hard in the morning, to have this lull in the middle of the day where it's sunny and hot and you're just think it's 100 degrees. And most of the time you're not seeing critters, just like your buck, the story that you just told. You sat there all day and looked at where he was and he never came out until the evening. Like, um, you know, what's going through your mind? Like you're you're busy, you're trying to provide for your family, and now you're just spending this whole middle of the day in the heat, and, and you're like, at least I find myself thinking, gosh, I should be getting something done. Like I've structured my whole life where normally I'm working so hard in that middle of the day to get things done, so it's tough for me to sit around for like eight hours. And I think, you know, for me, like uh, I, I'm just trying to give guys – like a, a tidbit of information because I know guys get burned out and I know they go into areas and don't find animals. And I think the difference is, is you continue to push. I continue to push. Like I can go three days and not see an elk, not see a deer. And I'm still going to go just as hard in that fourth day. And I think I just wrap my mind around and like have to switch my internal clock to know now I'm going to get things done in the morning and in the evening, I'm going to go really hard middle of the day. I'm going to grab some vantage points or I'm going to work hard to get to my afternoon evening spot so I can turn up animals or like a lot of times I'm listening for bugles at night and I'm up late like I'll even take a nap in the middle of the day like I don't need to push super hard in the middle of the day I kind of change my schedule from mornings to evening but I just like Sam how do you keep the what do you do to keep the belief and what do you do to keep pushing hard like you fill almost every tag you have with a quality critter and I think the difference is just like your mindset and belief in yourself and belief that you're going to find animals but what are you doing on a tough hunt or a tough day or how do you keep your mind right to keep pushing hard or not feel guilty in the middle of the day of not pushing or like what would you say some of your tips are for guys out there that really want to be successful like what's been the difference maker for you um i think uh can you hear me right now yeah yeah i got you okay. the, the video went off on my side i can see you but i can't see me um 
I think the, the biggest thing for me is I think that it's, it's definitely taken um, a lot of years of knowing that it's going to happen. Right. We've been pretty, I've been bow hunting so long now since I was a kid that there, I went through those droughts of, you know, a weekend where it was tough and, but it always seemed that if you just kept going every weekend, every weekend, eventually I, I say weekends. Cause back in the day I used to just be a weekend warrior. And it, all of a sudden by the third weekend, I killed a bull or I killed a buck or it, it actually worked out. So I think with that confidence came that if I just keep putting it out there and I stay out here in the country that they live in and I keep grinding that eventually it's going to work out. There's an old bow hunter that I really look up to. And he always said, it only it's, uh, it's only takes five minutes to kill something. It's just got to be the right five minutes. And I don't think there's a truer saying. I think of all the struggles, because we sit here and talk about all of our tactics of evening. We talked about our tactics of morning, our midday stocks on bucks that we find. People need to realize there's going to be out of a 10-day hunt, there might be six of those, six, seven of those days when you are twiddling your thumbs for 10 hours while you, you know, you put them to bed in the morning or you didn't find anything in the morning. So now you got 10 hours of trying to look at your maps and try to regroup. And now you're at plan M N O P of your whole game plan that you have set up. And, um, I think with all of that being said in our busy, our busy mind, there is a time too, when I have put something to bed in the morning or I do know where I'm at and I am going to take a power nap. Like I'm damn sure going to save my body, especially on day four, day five, when you got six more, you know, you got four or five days left. Um, you need to reserve as much energy and calories as you can. And, um, did I lose you? Are you still there? No, no, I got you a hundred percent. Yep. It froze up on me, so it scared me. But um, anyways, you gotta you gotta reserve that energy and and know where you're standing and, and keep your body right so that you can keep pushing. So I guess with all that being said, I sit there and I know I need to cover. I love I like I'm very similar to you, Brian. Uh, so it's more like I feel like I'm reiterating, but I will find my glassing knobs where I'm gonna be and where I need to be to be sitting there for the evening to catch movement. I like to set up in the middle of the day. Kind of like that bowl I told earlier, that story where I like to sit up in the middle of the day where maybe I'm looking at a part of country that I wasn't able to glass that morning, but it maybe shows like a north-facing slope, a bedding area of bulls or bucks where I can just sit there. And yeah, it might not be real productive. I might only be able to see one sliver of a meadow or one little cut of an avalanche shoot, but it's new country. Say I have something bedded over here in this canyon, but maybe I want to keep eyes on another part of a vantage point. I want to set myself up so I'm looking at bedding areas or where potential bedding areas of animals are that I didn't see that morning. So then in the middle of the day, that gives me something to glass. And I definitely caught critters moving that I didn't see that morning just because I'm set up in a spot where I'm able to look at that hillside all day long or look at that side of the canyon that I didn't look at that morning because it was big country and I wasn't able to get there. And all of a sudden, boom, I pick up a bucket's in midday feeding and a little cut. And go, I didn't even know those deer were there or that. But there's definitely you're thinking about your family at home and you're busy. And that's the time of the day when it's tough on you. Cause it's like, damn, I, I, I'm, I need to be doing something. And you just gotta, I, I sit back and I go, this is what I do it for. In my mind, I think I work all year. I bust my ass all year. So that September comes, this is what I love to do. And my wife knows I'm here doing this and she would be mad if I was you know, at home or worrying about her. Like she knows this is my time where I cut out and I go chase critters and this is what I do. So I just got to sit back. And in the middle of the day, too, when it is that time, say you have something found and you're just waiting them out, 
look at it as this is my vacation. Like this is the one time a year when I am here just to kick it and, and, and fill my glass full of what I need. And I just relax on that hillside and try to find a shady spot with my spot and scope usually set up on the tripod. My binos are on my chest and I'm just, I'm there to, this is what I'm there to do. And, and it makes me be patient. Like there's, there's nothing else you can do. So you have to be patient. So you might as well enjoy it. And I just look at it as this is my vacation. This is my beach. This is my white sand that everybody else loves. I'm sitting here swatting flies, um, not loving it. The weather sucks because it's hot or here comes a lightning storm. I don't know what it is, but I just, I find myself that this is what I'm here for to enjoy it. So, and I've seen some of the coolest things in the middle of the day that will absolutely surprise you. Whether, um, you know, there's days where I can think of where I've been, oh, I don't know, this stuff that you just see in the middle of the day. It's from watching chipmunks, the freaking ground squirrels, the, you just got to soak it all in because that's what we do it for. And it's it's not all about the kill at the end. Yeah, it's really cool when you can pick up that bloody arrow and then follow that blood trail to that bull or buck. But I think that's part of just, just being one with nature. And it sounds kind of cheesy, but that's for me. I can sit on a ridge all day and those breezes hit you in the face. And you really put yourself into that position of what a buck or a bull does. And when you sit on a high vantage point, you are sitting where a mule deer sits. You know, like that is what a mule deer soaks in every single day for the seven or eight years of their life. They worry about feed, water, and uh, being safe from predators. And here you are sitting on a perch in, in a deer bed, most likely, looking over some of the most gorgeous country that, I mean, I don't know. I'm, I'm maybe some of the most gorgeous country in the world to me is, is some of the places I've bow hunted. Bow hunting has taken me some of the neatest places in the world. And uh, I just got to soak all that in so I can get through a 10 hour, 11 hour sit and just uh, soak it in, twiddling my thumbs and just absolutely enjoying it. And I just I look at it as this. This is what I do it for. So I think it makes it easier for me to enjoy it. I don't look at it as I have to be here and nobody's making me go up there. And so, yeah, it might have been a suck fest getting in there. You might have blown a buck that morning. You might be completely regrouping, sitting on a new point where you have no idea because you went on a stock that morning and you blew it. So you switched canyons because you blew everything out of the drainage before. You blew every elk herd out of the drainage. So you hiked four miles between 10 and 2. And now you're sitting there twiddling your thumbs between 2 and 5 or 6, hoping something comes out. But it's what we do it for. So, yeah, I absolutely love it with all my heart, bow hunting. And if it was easy, we wouldn't do it. And I, I know that sounds uh, pretty cliche to say, but if it was easy, I absolutely wouldn't do it. I love how hard it is, whether it's just sitting on my ass for 11 hours a day, waiting for that evening hunt, or whether I'm grinding to get into a spot when it's 100 or when it's 10 below zero in January and you're trying to find, you know, that herd to doze so you can find a buck to, to chase this rutting then. So I guess that's what I do in the middle of the day. Just keep the positive attitude. That's what I'm here to do. This is why I love it. Take in the scenery, enjoy it, catch a nap if you have to. And uh, yeah, that's it. That's 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 me in the middle of the day, what my thoughts and my processes are. It's um, really well articulated, Sam. Like uh, it's really well explained. And I think that is um, that that is the correct mindset. You know, it's like, a, a, you know, part of this enjoyment is this um uh, being able to immerse ourselves in these wild places. And you're right. Like, I don't find cities pretty. Like, to see man and buildings and, like, I could see a, 
to go look at art or something like that. That's not what gets me going. Like I like seeing the the most remote places. I like looking around and not seeing a a house or a road or a trail. Like I like wild places like that. And those wild places you have to uh, immerse yourself in them. And so you're right. That middle of the day you can get caught in your thoughts or get caught in this negative. A feedback loop or you know that you're not finding animals or that you're wasting your time and it's like the wrong way to look at it the right way to look at it is just like you stated the wind in your face and looking at this killer view and uh sitting in a deer bed and watching the ants crawl over your feet and uh flies buzz around but you know that's like part of the experience as well is like uh uh, just being immersed in this landscape that you're in and you're trying to like the funnest stuff is obviously this predator prey relationship is it's like the most extreme experience you can go have in nature. So there's nothing better to me than when I find a bull or when I find a buck and get a play at him. But the deal is, is like you have to pay your dues to earn that opportunity. And now you know, you and I have enough experience where we earn those opportunities, but it's still like not easy. It may take us multiple days to earn that one chance at that bull. I mean, sometimes even eight, nine, ten days to get one stock on a trophy bull that we're after. And so you have to enjoy those eight, nine days leading up to it. And so you're right. If you're not finding animals, then it's about theorizing where you will find animals or you know it's going to be a hot part of the day but then you know you got a good evening hunt and a good morning hunt that'll come back to back where you have a good chance to turn up animals and uh so you're right and just like uh i also like the way you think about it like you've been waiting all year to do this this is the you know, to me this is my super bowl or my title fight or this is the thing i think about all year long and i've been training my body and my mind to get ready for this the last thing I'm going to do is not give it my all or to give in early. or uh, So you just keep that mindset. And even if it's tough hunting, even if I haven't seen an animal in four or five days, you can bet on that sixth day I'm going to go just as hard to try to turn one up. And my new theory of where they are, like you said, plan M, N, O, P or whatever plan I'm on, I'm going to still push forward. And it's amazing like how many times things come together you talked about being a weekend warrior and that's how i started too and and even still i get so busy that a lot of times i'm still a weekend warrior going especially as it gets into october and november and i've wasted a lot of my vacation time um but but it's like um you you just you push so hard every day that you're given every day that you have a day to hunt you make sure you're up early you lace up your boots you go put miles in you go put effort in and it's amazing at how many times it comes together i mean it's dang near like every hunt for me you know it's like i i get there and i have all these plans for a hunt and where i'm going to turn up animals and then it's like a fighter getting punched in the face like i go on this hunt that that used to be good in here in these dates or maybe i went on this hunt and i have all these plans of this country i'm going to cover and then you get there and you don't find animals or you find hunting pressure it's always it's like the most difficult challenge on planet Earth, and it's part of the reason why we love it, is now you're immersed in that challenge. Like, why would you give in earlier? Why would you let doubt creep in or not enjoy this vacation time that you've worked so hard to gain? We spend so much of our life's effort at work and trying to provide for our families. This is the time we truly get for ourselves. And it's amazing how many times it seems like it's impossible to arrow a buck or to arrow a bull, or it seems like it's never going to come together. But 
you keep putting forth effort and all of a sudden you're presented with this opportunity and there's a six-point bull and he's on his feet and now you have a chance and it's time to send it. Or you turn up a buck and now he, he you bet him down and now you have a chance to make a stock and you have this chance to be clutch in this situation. And they're really difficult to kill and get all your stocks right as well, but you've given yourself a chance. And then to go in and close the deal and have it come together and you arrow a buck or bull, like, man, for guys – Guys like you and I, that's what dreams are made of. But it's not just one day of effort or two days of effort or, you know, it's not just like going hard when you finally find a buck. It's going hard in those days in between when you're not seeing stuff. And I really think that's what makes a difference between being successful and punching your tag on an archery hunt and and not punching your tag. So, man, it's like, um, yeah, that's that's what we were put here for, I think. Yeah, absolutely. That's exactly how I feel about it is you just you got to keep grinding like there's it's always like the glory photos are what we see uh, and the stocks are what we live for. But there's a lot of downtime and it's it's keeping your mind right and keep sticking to the plan. And uh, eventually it'll pay off like eventually something's going to slip up and you're going to be within 50 yards to get an arrow in them. Eventually, you just got to keep putting it out there and it may take multiple times, but you just got to keep putting it out there. Man, hundred percent. Well, I watched um, uh, I watched your bison hunt from Stone Glacier. I've also watched your mule deer hunt on there, dude. What incredible films, man! I uh, watched that yesterday. It got me all pumped to bow hunt. But it just captures your essence and your drive and everything that we've talked about today on the podcast. Like that, that Zach Botton is so talented behind a lens, and then. Uh, you just did a really good job of telling your story on there, man. I really enjoyed your film. It's absolutely next level, man. Good going. Uh, well, thank you so much, Brian. That means a lot coming from you. I mean, the guy that I've looked up to and watched all your films and your articles, that means a lot coming from you. But, yeah, I got to get hats off to, to Zach. He's a he's a wizard with the camera, and it's pretty surreal to watch that, that bison hunt and that mule deer hunt. You know, it's pretty neat. As you've seen yourself be videoed by a, a, a videographer, it, it's uh, it's wild to have someone follow you, for one thing. When I've been such a solo hunter for all these years, to have a cameraman behind you at all times in the stock, it's, it's a wild experience. But uh, it's it's pretty cool to it's all put together to see it on TV. It's it's uh, it's pretty surreal. It's like an outer body experience for me. It's like it's it's unbelievable that that's me to be honest with you because Zach did such a great job editing and yeah the, the hunts the hunts were phenomenal in their own way to me. But yeah, to have it captured and to be able to show my family, it's it's been really neat. Oh, the footage and then. Just the grind. Like, you were on the grind on that hunt, too. It was fun to see you cowboy with the horses and use your knowledge there. But, you know, I could tell, like, I mean, I think you killed him day three or day four, so you weren't into 10 days of grinding. But you scouted that unit. It was getting your horses, getting your camp. You showed up two days early. And then there just wasn't bison on public ground. Like, well, public ground, but they were in the park or you're waiting for them to cross over. And so, man, it like like that had to be testing, too. You've got a cameraman, you've got pressure to kind of, uh, you want to fill out and be successful. And it's such like a rare opportunity that you get to hunt bison that you drew this tag after seven years of applying. Uh, so you like have this rare opportunity, 
but it's just not a given that you're going to find success. Like every hunt is different and every hunt has its challenges and you were definitely in the grind in that. And I think that's what I enjoyed the most was watching your brain work in the grind and watching your next game plan and watching the next thing you're going to do. And you push so hard and then, you know, there's an evening where you guys are having dinner and then you explain that, you know, you'd just gotten back that you'd gone hard all day, but it was really a morning game the way these bison were moving throughout the night and catching them in the morning in the right spot in the evening there was nothing left to do because there was no bison you know on the ground that you could hunt uh but i think that's what i enjoyed most about the film is really capturing like uh the essence of like your attitude and like the the grind that you were in to kill that bull man it was just an awesome film oh thank you brian it was it was cool yeah once in a lifetime tag like everybody throws around that term once in a lifetime very loosely but for a a bull bison that is my once in a lifetime i'm never gonna hunt them again in wyoming uh it's a true once in a lifetime tag and yeah so it's uh it was it was an unreal experience and to be able to get the bull i'm i'm a guy that just looks for opportunity right like if you watch the film i come to full draw on another bull that was an absolute giant um, he just takes a step right as I come to full draw and I anchor, he like takes a step and sagebrush covers his vitals and I let down. Well, as I let down, the bull that I end up killing uh, pushes a cow right right in front of me. So it was and then to anyways, I got him aged and he is 12 and a half year old bull. So to go to the mountains and kill a 12 and a half year old bull bison to, to, to think what he has lived through and seen and the predators that have been around him, it's. It's awesome. And like I said, that's why we do it. And bow hunting, it's in my blood because to kill that bull in Wyoming, you know, that's our, that's the, that's the animal that's on our flag. Um, it's the, it's one of the, you know, it's one of those iconic critters there is. And uh, it was pretty neat just to take him with an arrow and to have it all in film. And yeah, to use my horses and to pack them, something that I grew up doing, you know, my dad was a guide and he used horses his whole career. And for me, I use my horses when I can use them. I backpack a ton. I backpack probably 70% of the time, 60% of the time, but there's 40, 50% of the time when I'd use my horses to use to pack out meat. And uh, so, yeah, it was really neat to, to for it all to come together like that. All of my loves were kind of wrapped into one, to one week right there for sure. Yeah, it's amazing. You guys have to go check out that. And then, um, man, we're just uh... – we're uh, we're almost to the starting line, huh? Just um, keep our training going, get our work done, make sure we're hanging out with our families, and um, it's almost time to cut these legs loose and to uh, send it for another season. It 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 uh, comes and goes really quick, though. It's like you have to take it in all the seasons. I know that um, I'm definitely going to take in the early season mule deer. I got a couple hunts there, and then my focus switches to elk. And you know, people ask me, you know, what my favorite species to hunt, and you know. Usually I can say, you know, I really like to hunt mule deer if I had to pick one species, but really I like bow hunting. Uh, any species they'll give me with my bow and arrow, like I fall in love with hunting, whether it's antelope or bears or, you know, once it's elk season and it's September, there's nothing else I can think about than chasing elk with my bow. And then when it's muley season, I'm chasing muleys. And then I, I've got a trip coming up. My season actually kicks off here in about six days. I'm going to go hang out with my good buddies in hawaii and we're going to go do some hunting out there for um we're going to hunt uh mouflon we'll see we've kind of got reports that the mouflon numbers are really down 
Uh, so we may just focus on Axis, but dude, I love hunting Axis, and they're rutting like crazy right now, and it's such a great like uh, start to my season. Just gets me in the right mindset and get to go hang out with good friends and go hard. And that's another heat hunt, you know, where uh, it doesn't take me much water to survive, but every day I stick 32 ounces more water in my pack because I'll go through I'll go through 130 ounces in a day of hunting Hawaii. It's just so humid and hot, and I sweat it out. Uh, but it's like, uh, anything I get to do with my bow and arrow, um, I think is like, a while I'm doing it, there's nowhere else I'd rather be. And that goes for like hunting any of these animals, but, um, we're about there, man. We get to, uh, go chase some critters around and go have some fun. I can't wait to see what you turn up this year. It's going to be the year of bulls for you. You got a couple good elk tags and uh, I'm sure you'll be after those muleys as well. Yeah, man, I'm I'm super excited, and yeah, you look back like last week at the Western Hunting Summit, that really gets gets the gets the itch going because we're hiking around, everybody's talking, hunting, we got our packs loaded as if we were backpacking, you know, as we stay out the night, whatever, and shooting bows the whole time. So definitely, uh, definitely has the blood ready to go and uh, ready to go, and yeah, I'm ready to rock. It's pretty much pretty soon we'll be strapping broadheads on. I got big archery shoot this weekend there as well as Mountain Archery Fest this weekend, so we're taking the family up to that and do some more some more foam pounding and then uh it won't be long we'll be chasing antelope first for me so nice right on yeah those antelope uh they're a great start to the season too that um that experience like uh has really helped build us into the hunters that we are like experience of uh, making mistakes, making plays, and those antelope are the perfect kickoff to the season because you spend a lot of time stalking antelope, not looking for antelope. And so you get like that experience. It just seems like, um, you know, I, not that I make mistakes or get too excited or anything like that, but you're just with antelope, like you're just able to like – get your bearings you're able to get back stalking and hunting and sure i may make a mistake here or there but it just seems like it gets me in the right mindset for hunting deer and elk or the right mindset for season like i'm able to kind of get some of those jitters out of the way early on antelope and just get into stalking and playing the game which seems to have me like tuned up for season totally yeah and you're getting to put pins on fur like that's the way i look at it you're getting to look through the peep site and bury it like actually behind someone's shoulder and it, that it, maybe that's what I'm talking about or what you're talking about with the jitters. But yeah, you can put, you can go to come to full draw on some and have to settle a pan on actual fur and it's not just foam anymore. So it's, it's a way good start. It's, it's preseason. <laughs> it's like the preseason for the NFL boys. Like it's the, uh, that's the way I look at antelope. You get to blow some stocks and go over the next ridge, find another one and go put another stock on. So it's fun. Yeah. It is. Well, I really enjoyed uh, hanging out with you at the Western Hunting Summit and like uh, getting to shoot. I really appreciate your friendship, Sam. Like I love keeping in touch with you and uh, just so impressed with um, uh, with your bow hunting and um, just the, the, the man you are too, like with your work and family and just how you live your life. Um, you know, I, I really admire it and appreciate it, and I, I really like you as a human being as, and as a hunter. And, um, man, I just appreciate you taking the time and coming on the podcast and, like, sharing all this great info with guys. So I'll definitely be following along and cheering you on this season. And there's no doubt there's going to be uh, some nice bulls and bucks across my feed from you. So, man, um, can't wait to see what you turn up. Hey, you as well, Brian. Thanks for the kind words. And yeah, like I said, being around you at the Western Hunting Summit the last couple of years and getting to hang with you and getting to know you, it's uh, it's uh, it's been great. And 
it's awesome and i really truly like our friendship too and it's cool keeping in touch and yeah you're gonna have some uh you're gonna have some some dead mule deer this year for sure <laughs> the year of the deer for you right <laughs> yep yep that's the plan yeah for sure well um cool. thanks again sam i appreciate you um yeah have a good fourth and uh we'll keep in touch all right sounds good you as well okay all right guys that's a wrap uh, remember to uh, to check out our sponsors for today's show, Matthews, Zamberlin, Outdoor Edge, Black Ovis, and Camo Fire. And uh, thanks again to Sam Davis taking the time to be for uh, being on. Uh, yeah, just a, a great bow hunter and uh, works extremely hard at everything he does, from family to work to bow hunting. Uh, he's just a great example for all of us, so really enjoy talking with that guy. And uh, make sure to follow him on social media, and if you like the episode, shoot him a note. And uh, make sure to follow along. He's going to have some success this year like he does every year, and uh, he's got a pretty good bull tag in his pocket. So can't wait to see what he turns up there. And, um, yeah, check out everything we're doing over at Eastman's. You can check out that Beyond the Grids uh, series that's uh, just search Eastman's Hunting TV on YouTube. It's got Dan's two biggest bulls to date. Those episodes are up. Uh, there's also another elk episode that he's kind of compiled shooting big bulls. And then I know I've got a mule deer hunt, high country one, and then an elk hunt coming up that I've already previewed. And um, excited to see those released and um, have you guys watch them. So uh, thanks so much, you guys, for the support of Eastman's Elevated. I mean, um, 400 episodes is wild. And uh, I just I just really appreciate it. And, um, yeah, just want to continue to bring you guys great podcasts that help you be more efficient in the field. So um, that's the goal. That's what we'll keep doing here. Uh, going to keep mixing in solo episodes with these guest episodes and um, really pumped how those are coming out. Make sure to go check out um, Eastman's Bow Hunting Journal. That's the podcast they started with Dan Picard. They're just really good uh, episodes. And um, yeah, we just have good conversations on there. Me and Dan, they call us the Bow Hunting Brothers because every time we get together, uh, you find us at our own table or uh, off on our own and we're we're talking bow hunting whether we we're recording for a podcast or not so I've uh, just always really enjoyed that guy and always really respect what he does and how he hunts uh, so it makes for a good podcast it's on a different feed I replayed one of the episodes last week just to give you guys a taste of it uh, but if you search Eastman's bow hunting journal it should be some um should be some great content for hunting season. So you can catch up on those. There's 10 episodes out now. We'll continue to re release those every two weeks. And if it continues to grow, I'd love to I'd love to have to try to find time to release one a week. So um, thanks for your guys' support on that. And with that, I'm going to finish packing my bags here, get my work done, and then um, I'm out of here. And uh, be nice to get a break from the cell phone and everything too is I'll, I'll be in a different country to start in Canada up in BC doubt I'll have reception maybe I will but um, I think I'll turn my phone off anyways no matter if I do or not but uh, yeah just getting everything in order so I can cut out of here and go do some some bow hunting and some wild extreme terrain and then have some muley hunts right after that be sharing those with some good buddies think we're going to try to film one of those but um yeah, excited to get to the mountains, cut these legs loose, and do what I truly love to do. It's um, it, It'll be an absolute riot. So um, just want to push myself. Uh, learned a lot. Just getting back. Um, so appreciative. Uh, Cam Haynes invited me over to do a lift run shoot and do a podcast with him that will be coming out in a couple weeks. 
uh, just learned a lot from that guy's mindset, man. I mean, that guy is putting in the work. Uh, so we actually, we, uh, we went for it. We did 20 some miles the one day and, um, man, I had to grind there at the end in the heat, but, uh, yeah, he's just, um, just a, a, a really good guy, really hard worker and has such a passion for bow hunting. So of course we, um, we connected and got along pretty well. So, um, yeah, just can't thank him enough for sharing his platform with me and also sharing his mindset and work ethic. And, um, man, yeah, I definitely, I definitely learned some there. I picked up on some things and, um, you know, I think there's more to give as hard as I work day in, day out, as much as I give to bow hunting, you know, running and training with him and seeing his mindset, like, man, I think there's more to give. So I uh, just want to prove it here come this hunting season and uh, give it my all. And, um, so really looking forward to that and uh, sure appreciate him having me on. You can see that episode. I'm not sure when it'll release, but um, it'll be released in the near future. And uh, you can listen in on that podcast that we did. So, um, yeah, pretty pumped. Things are going well and uh, hunting season is knocking on the door. In fact, just a week away and uh, I'll be in the mountains. So um, thanks a bunch, you guys, for the support. Thanks for the 400 episodes of Eastman's Elevated. I mean, you guys are the reason why this thing goes. So just want to look out for you guys, like always, and, and make sure that I'm getting good guests and good content to you guys. So, um, yeah, I sure appreciate it from the bottom of my heart. And then, um, man, uh, go give your all this season and uh, have some great adventures out in the outdoors and uh, it's just a place where us guys can really put our passion and uh, just want to do more of it and go harder and um, share my journey with you guys. So uh, thanks a bunch. With that, I'll have a podcast loaded up for you next week, and then I'll be a couple weeks till you hear from me and, and uh, hopefully with a, a big white billy goat. So um, thanks, you guys. Talk soon.